there, there's some misguided advice out there about how you can become financially free of real estate, but it's not in the way that people typically think, which is with single family houses. It's actually with apartment buildings. But then the problem becomes, okay, well, that's great, but I don't have the experience and I don't have the money. So let me get some experience. You know, we'll do five to 10 years and we'll build up a little portfolio. And then uh, the money I will invariably make, I will then dump into apartments and not get into apartments eventually because that's where the big boys play. Now we know that you don't have to do that. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is a full-time entrepreneur, investor, and coach. He's most well-known as a multifamily investor and educator and one of the most well-known ones in the country. He is the author of the best-selling book, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. He is also the host of the wildly successful Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blank. He's a frequent writer for Bigger Podcasts and Flip Nerds REI Classroom. He focuses on helping others become financially free in three to five years through apartment building investing, and his students have purchased over 7,600 units and counting. He specializes in raising money, controls over 90 million performing multifamily U.S. assets right now, has raised over $21 million, proud uh, father of four. Thank you for coming on the A-Game Podcast, and welcome, Mr. Michael Blanc. If you could just for some of the people that aren't familiar with you, just give a quick 30,000 foot snapshot of, uh, of your background and how you got into multifamily and real estate. Yeah, it was very convoluted, Nick. It really was. Uh, I, I have a software background, Nick, I, which I felt uh, prepared me very well for real estate. Uh, not at all. But in 2005, <laughs> I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it just really, you know, like, like a lot of us really influenced us quite a bit. And I thought I was pretty smart at the time, uh, but I didn't have any passive income at all. What I did have is a bunch of money from, from an IPO. I had gone through a software IPO a few years earlier. And after several months, I mean, it like shook me to the core. I just came home one day to my wife and announced that I had quit my job. She was like, what? What do you, maybe you should have consulted with me first. I don't know. And so my mission really was to go get me some of this financial freedom. So I did everything at once. I learned how to trade stocks and options. I took a real estate course. I took a apartment building course, but my big idea was restaurants, pizza specifically, <laughs> Nick, which I'm sure you can. And, and, and the reason is because I was surrounded by a bunch of uh, uh, franchisees with a burger concept. And that particular concept was unbelievably uh, hot at the time. They were also sold out in the Northern Virginia area where, where I was. So I signed up with this pizza concept and it was a great idea before the recession. It was high-end, gourmet, good-for-you, organic pizza, very expensive. And then as soon as the recession hit, no one wanted to pay $25 for a large pie. They <laughs> wanted five toppings for $9.99. And so what happened at this point, I had six restaurants. I had deployed my entire net worth in these restaurants, and they started to stop making money. And the guy I had hired to run it all, I had to let him go because I couldn't afford him anymore. So now I was running six pizza restaurants. And I was like, that's not my idea of a passive investment, really. 
And so I tried to dig myself out of the hole with real estate. And like so many people, when they think real estate, now I had flipped a couple houses in 2006 and I made pretty good money with that. And then I was just focused on the, on the real estate, on the, on the pizza. I actually started calling them brokers in 2007 in, in Texas for about nine months. That's kind of why I cut my chops a little bit. And then I just focused on the restaurants. So when the crap was hitting the fan with the restaurants, I was like, man, what do I, what do I got to do? So I, I decided to go back to flipping houses. And that's, that's when I started raising money because in 2009, as you know, there were so many foreclosures, uh, but the retail market was, was, uh, you know, was coming back. So you could buy these houses at $80,000, put 30,000 in and sell them for 185,000. And I'm like, dude, I gotta get me some of that. So I started borrowing money from friends and family. And so I had this giant bucket, right. With you know, like whole water coming out the bottom my restaurants. And then I'm, you know, shoveling money in the top through the house flips. And so I was working constantly, uh, trying to keep everything afloat, basically just treading, really treading water. And it was awful until finally I was able to sell my first restaurant pennies on a dollar. And, uh, and then I sort of got into an apartment building in 2011 through one of my wholesalers. It was a 12 unit building in Washington, DC. And that was a nightmare. And so it was just a stressful time. Until finally, about 12 months later, it stabilized and it was just sending me mailbox money every month. And I kind of lost interest a little bit because house flipping, as you know, is much more exciting. But one day I woke up and I'm like, dude, where the hell is the passive income here? I was like, I thought they talk talked about real estate investing and passive income. As you know, flipping houses, there's really nothing passive about it. And I was like, man, so maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll build up a portfolio. I'll build myself a portfolio, right? A little, little portfolio, <laughs> a little burr portfolio. And I was like, all right, I, I, I want 10,000 a month in passive income. And I did some, some math. I would need like 50 houses. I'm like, and I just flipped like three dozen in three years. I'm like, I'm not building a portfolio of 50 houses. Meanwhile, I finally look at my apartment building, which I kind of forgotten about. And I was like, oh, this, this darn thing is to send me like money every month. You know, maybe I should do more of that and less of the other. And that's kind of what I did. And around the same time, people are very interested in how I raised money for the house flips and how I put this one deal together. And I was like, that's odd. And I finally reflected on it. And I started blogging about this uh, for the bigger pockets for about two and a half years. And that's people, how people found me. So I did a blog and I had a download. I created an analyzer tool and I was like, well, I might as well just create a course. So I created a course. So I'm like real estate investing and I'm in like educating at the same, at the same time. And, uh, you know, and since then through our podcast and the, and the book, we have uh, noticed that while most people get started with investing single family houses, it's very difficult to quit your job with single family houses. And then people just quietly shift to apartment buildings, but they don't let anybody know. And so when you study this, you, you, you determine that uh, there, there's some misguided advice out there about how you can become financially free of real estate, but it's not in the way that people typically think, which is with single family houses. It's actually with apartment buildings. But then the problem becomes, okay, well, that's great, but I don't have the experience and I don't have the money. So let me get some experience. You know, we'll do five to 10 years and we'll build up a little portfolio. And then uh, the money I will invariably make, I will then dump into apartments and not get into apartments eventually because that's where the big boys play. Now we know that you don't have to do that. That's not a bad plan, but you don't have to do it. In other words, you can bypass a single family house investing and get right into apartment buildings, or you can go from what you're doing now into apartment buildings. There's, there's really no one, two stepping stone at all. And, and then we discovered that doing that is the fastest way to become financially free, almost with any business whatsoever. I almost say it is the number one way to become financially free, probably in one to two years, because people only need about two to three deals to, to, to cover their living expenses. And now they're full-time investors. And I have not, and I've done a lot of startup shenanigans, Nick, in my, in my, in my life. 
and nothing is faster than apartment buildings. Man, that, there's so many good things to dissect in there. One of them I, I think is, is so important that nowadays, unlike you know, 15 years ago when I started, there are people like yourself out there and guys out there that will partner up and they will allow you to come into a deal to learn some of the experience on the first one or the second one. Whereas I think in the past, it as much as people don't want to say it's mindset, you need to get your confidence up to get to the point of thinking I'm going to jump into an apartment building. And I think that's why, you know, people who started maybe 10 years ago, we did all go through that transition of single family, you know, wholesale to flipping to like a foreign unit and then kind of coming up there. But a lot of the rules have changed and a lot because of things like social media and just everybody being interact interactive. And, you know, again, like on your website, there's so many different ways that you can plug in for, I love the fact now that there's people that if you don't have time, you can find find ways to get in. If you have time that you can put in the energy and you want to go find deals and be boots on the ground, like whatever piece you're missing, somebody's always looking to fill. And there's more pieces of that pie to be divvied out on a commercial deal than there is on a single family, which is why I think there creates a lot more opportunity because you can include sometimes five, 10 people and you're still making money. You try and do that on a single family home. What's everybody really making? Yeah, I mean, you said something is it's a matter of confidence, okay? And a confidence comes from the first step before confidence that you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that that that's a system works. It it may work for others, but more importantly, that it works for you. And, that, and that's a big the big disconnect with people who want to uh, become real estate investors, or maybe they have a couple of units, <clears throat> but they don't see themselves getting an apartment building because they don't believe they can do it. And, and fundamentally, the, there's really two main reasons why people don't believe they can do it. One is the, the lack of experience. I don't have the experience, so let me get it. But the truth is you don't need experience. What you need is you need to educate yourself, which is a matter of taking a course or seminar, and we offer them, but others like us offer them. That way, you start using the right language. For example, you start learning how to analyze deals. Um, and, and with that, your confidence level goes up. So education is number one, but that's something you can knock out in like 30 days. And the other thing is you got to build a team around you. And the team, what it does is it gives you credibility because they have track record where you don't. So for example, two very important team members are the property manager and a lender and potentially some kind of advisor or maybe a partner, right? So, so if you approach a broker and you talk to them about, you know, you're, you're working with property manager XYZ who manages 3000 units in the whatever Atlanta area and chances are the broker knows this guy. He goes, oh yeah, Frank is a great guy. I've done a bunch of deals with him and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And now- you're talking about Frank who manages 3000 units and not you and your utter lack of uh, experience in the multifamily field, right? If you say I'm working with so-and-so, right? He's an advisor of mine or a mentor or whatever, you know, they manage X thousand units. You know, when you talk about that in terms of your team, you're not talking about your own lack of experience. You're talking about your team's experience and people listening to, they must figure that you're a serious guy. If you're able to track the team right that, because you can't be a complete loser if you have a bunch of people on your, on your team. So therefore, the experience part literally goes away because of the team that you've built. And again, you can build your team in 30, 45 days. So within 30 to 45 days, you've overcome the main issue around, around experience, right? And then there's a second issue, which is I don't have the money. And of course, the solution, as you know, is to raise money, which is in these times, surprisingly easy. Again, comes with confidence. If you're able to talk confidently about the asset class, even if you have never done a deal before and you have a team around you, you're going to attract capital because people with money to invest in the stock market, a good number of them are scratching their heads going, something is broken. I can't figure out what it is, but something ain't right. 
right? They, they, they can't make predictable plans for their future. They can't they plan for the retirement or kids' college education. They can't get passive income from the stock market and they pay too many taxes. Well, you can help them with all those things with a syndication. And so therefore raising money actually is surprisingly easy. And once you get the taste of it, once you have someone dumb enough to tell you, oh yes, I'm, I'd be interested in investing in a deal with you. You're like, really? <laughs> Are you sure about that? Right? You're confident back to confidence. It's become surprisingly easy to raise money. So within a matter of, of, of a, a few months, you have overcome the two main objections, which is I don't have experience and I don't have the money. And now you're in the game, right? Because if you approach a broker in this way, they're going to take you seriously. If you approach an investor in that way from this position of, of strength, they're going to take you easy. So it is actually, it's, it's surprisingly easy to actually get in the game. I love that. Now, there's a few different things I don't want to peel back on that. One of them, though, your past experience in the business world that you had, I know that you learned a lot about managing people. And what I have found is that becomes almost more important, especially in commercial with managing people rather than managing the actual like so-and-so asset. Because when you have those teams in place, you basically just become like a team manager and you're looking for your all-stars. What kind of things can you give people? Because I, I think that that's where the, the interaction, the personal communication, when that breaks down, that's when you start to have problems. When you know how to kind of identify those things and, and have a good line of communication and identify people that are going to be your key players, it's going to make the entire experience either great or terrible, depending on how well you can manage or mismanage your teams. Uh, I'm going to answer that question. I interviewed Gina Wickman a little, a little while ago. Obviously, he wrote Traction and Rocket Fuel about how you rapidly scale a company. And his latest book is The Entrepreneurial Leap, in which he postulates that entrepreneurs are born, not made. And I had a fantastic time with Gino because I disagreed with him. I said, <laughs> I don't think entrepreneurs are necessarily made. And we finally, after exploring this, his definition of entrepreneur is a little bit different than mine. His is a type of entrepreneur who will build a, a company with 150 plus employees. They... That, and he acknowledged that real estate, especially syndications specifically, are set a much lower bar than any other business in the world, which is, which is why it appeals to such a wide audience. I don't have to be the next Steve Jobs to grow a company. I can be the normal person. And there's really two types. If I were to boil it down, there's really two types of people. Now I'm generalizing, but there's a, there's a kind of an operational detail-oriented person, maybe a little introverted, maybe an engineer. And then there's the out, the extrovert, right? The sales guy, the networking guy. And you need both roles in a syndication. And this is why joint ventures work so beautifully in a syndication because you need both. Why? Because the detail-oriented numbers person is great at analyzing deals and negotiating deals. Even though they're introverted, they're, they're, they can talk with, with brokers at a peer level because the conversation is around numbers and they love numbers. So they're able to easily talk to brokers and beat them up on price. They love mm -hmm. that all day long. They can perform due diligence, right? They're, they're, and some of them are actually a good, a good managers as well because they're detail-oriented. The, on the other hand, the networking guys, the extroverted guys, the sales guys, the, you know, the sight of a, a spreadsheet will make them break out in a cold sweat. <laughs> but, but they're really comfortable in schmoozing and networking and, and meet, meeting new people. And so they're very good at attracting money. You need both in a syndication. You got to find deals and you got to find money. Those are the two main, main roles. And so uh, this is why a syndication appeals to so many people because uh, most people are one or the other, or some of them are a little bit of both. And there's a role for both of those. So in other words, if you're not one and not the other, it still doesn't mean you, don't, you can't get in the game. It means you can get in the game. And, you, and not only that, but you get to focus on the things that you're good at and that you love to do, meaning that work doesn't seem like work at all, right? So if you're just in your zone and you're crunching numbers, you're talking to brokers and you're doing diligence, you're happy as a clam. 
Meanwhile, the capital raiser is happy as a clam because they're out networking and they're and and they're happy and they're raising money. And so those joint ventures, they they are very work very well together and it also allows that joint venture to scale very rapidly because of that focus on both of those positions. That's awesome. For the people who aren't familiar with syndication, the cool thing that I like about commercial is with single family, it's very much a recipe. And if you mess up the recipe, a lot of the times you're going to lose money, whereas you can be a lot more creative. And there's so many different ways to put deals together, which gives you more options to make them work. What are some different variables that you can use to put together a syndication? What do you mean by variables? Talk about that. As far as how they're getting paid out, how they're structured, who's getting what percentages, like what people's roles are. Well, let's talk about how you get paid in syndication. This is really fascinating. At a fundamental level, it's really the operators or the entrepreneurs that are putting a deal together. And then there's a group of passive investors who fund it all. That's really it. So it's sweat equity and the money. That's really a syndication. And so the operators or the, or the, the, the entrepreneurs are finding a the deal. They're raising the money. They're hiring the manager. They're managing the asset. Eventually, they sell for, for a profit, right? And, and the, the beautiful thing about a syndication is the operators get paid in, in, in possibly four ways. One is a, you can pay yourself an acquisition fee at closing. And this is typically 3%, 2 to 3% of the purchase price, right? So you're, you're buying a $3 million uh, uh, building. What is that? 90,000? 90, Help me out here. I need my, without my spreadsheet, I'm nothing. So it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a considerable number, the acquisition fee. And some people are like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. I don't think you, should, you deserve to get paid that much. Well, let me tell you something. Okay, because if you close a deal, that you, means you probably looked at 100 deals and possibly had one on a contract, hopped in a plane, didn't go anywhere. And so by the time you divide the acquisition fee between the partners, divided by how many hours you worked on it, you'll be under minimum wage. Trust me. So you definitely deserve this acquisition fee. So that's number one. Number two is you can charge asset management fees, which are typically 1% to 2% of the uh, revenue or the rents collected, kind of like a property manager. And that typically is used down the beginning. We just used to use it for ourselves and bought beer with it or whatever. But <laughs> what you're supposed to do with it is, uh, is supposed, you're supposed to be able to, to fund some of the overheads. So the virtual assistant or uh, a bookkeeper or someone, an, an asset manager even, right? So it's, it's actually used to fund the business. And then, of course, there's equity distribution. So you as the, uh, as the operator, the entrepreneur, also called general partner or GP, typically own 20 to 30% of the entire deal for putting, for doing all the work. It's called the sweat equity, right? So, so you get actually of all the distributions you get, let's say 20% of all cash flow distributions. So that's pretty cool. And then finally you have, um, you have possible profit at the, at the sale. When you sell this thing and you've added value, you've increased the, the value of the property. There presumably is a profit at the end. Oh, there's a, there's a fifth one, which could be a uh, capital disposition fee. You can charge a percent of the sales price when you return, when you sell the property. Uh, it's, it's, it's not usual to charge all of those fees, uh, but it's usual to charge some of those fees, especially the acquisition fee and the asset management fee, because that's how the business is, is run. And now you can see why, why it is it, people are able to quit their jobs within one, two, or three deals. Because, because the thing is, when, when you approach the business from a multifamily investing perspective, when you become what I call a portfolio builder, a wealth creator, you may start off with a duplex, which technically is not a multifamily, but in my world, it is. Duplex to me is if you approach it from a multifamily perspective, because if you do a duplex, your comfort zone expands through the process. So you're not going in your second deal, you're not going to do a duplex anymore. Your comfort zone typically has expanded to around 10 units. And then that's your second deal. And then your, the, the deal after that becomes 25 units. And after 25, it's essentially 50 plus. Because every time you do it, your comfort zone expands. 
and you become more and more of a deal magnet, more and more of a, of a, of a money magnet. And so therefore, it's, it's a non-linear progression. And because of the acquisition fees uh, and because of the passive income and be, typically because of the pipeline that people see forming, because once you see it work once, you're like, oh, maybe I got lucky. You know, I, just, <laughs> I just called up this broker and I just fell in my, maybe I got lucky. But once you do it twice, okay, you're like, ah, oh, I don't think I'm getting lucky. I think I can do this over and over and over again. And a lot of people quit their jobs. Uh, they, sometimes they do it even before they cover all their living expenses because of this pipeline that they do. Others wait longer. Others burn the boats. They're like, I am in. I love it. I read Michael's book and I'm in, you know, <laughs> hook, line and sinker. And they, they quit their job because it has a six to 12 months, say, savings runway uh, and say that, and they focus on it full time. So re regardless of what people do, typically from the from the moment that people decide to pursue multifamily, they're one to two years away from quitting their job. And that is amazingly powerful. I love that, man. How important do you think that first deal is for just momentum in general? Because that's a big thing for, I feel like mindset, like you said, people have to have the confidence. And I always tell them, you know, don't worry, because they're looking at it going, well, you know, Michael's got 7,600 units with his students and this person's doing this and buying that. And I'm like, all you need to worry about is your next deal. Worry about that. When you get that done, then you worry about the next one. And I feel like it takes some of that overwhelmingness out of them. But I've seen, like, I, you know, I'm a big jujitsu guy. So I see more people walk in the door saying that they want to get started and never come in. And then after they go for a year, like less people quit. After three years, like hardly anybody quits. So I feel like it's the same thing. It's just that getting started. So being that you work with so many new investors, what is your advice for somebody on their first deal as far as like size or comfort level? Or is that more risk tolerance for the individual? Yeah, the, another reason that uh, multifamily is, so, is, is such a great business to get into is because of what I call the law of the first deal. I talk a lot about it in my, in my book, and it's an interesting universal phenomenon. But basically what it says is that from the time you do your first deal, you're, you're, you're three to five years away from financial freedom. It's actually from the time you do your first deal, you're typically about a year away from that. Um, so I was being a little conservative in the book. But the point is what happens is the first deal is, is almost always the smallest is the hardest to do and takes the longest. Typically, let's say it takes you an average of 12 months to do your first deal and you're struggling and you're, you're overcoming obstacles. And then all of a sudden you close this first deal. And it's whatever size that you feel comfortable with. It could be a duplex or it could be a 25 unit. At the end of the day, Nick, it doesn't matter. It, it, the law is triggered regardless of size. But what happens then, the fascinating thing that happens, literally without exception, I still haven't found an exception to the rule yet, that the second and third deal basically follow in rapid, almost automatic succession. It is not uncommon for people to report that on the day of their closing, they have their second deal under contract, or they have the second deal under contract a few days or a couple of weeks later. And essentially, while the first deal was a pretty big struggle, the second and third are not. They basically happen automatically. In fact, there's a few students of ours who try to resist the law of the first deal <laughs> because they felt like, oh, they need to stabilize the first deal. You know, and their mentor was like, no, you idiot. Just go with the flow, man. Go with the flow. Go, go close that second deal. And what happens is because of that, for, it's, it changes everything, Nick. That first deal changes everything. Therefore, it reduces the complexity of how many units do I need to quit my job? Uh, it makes that question irrelevant because all you got to do is get one deal. You have to do one deal because everything else flows from, from that. So that first deal will basically get, get you through quitting your job. And once you're through, once you're through that, the next phase is this platform is the is the uh, portfolio building where you're trying to scale. It's a different problem set. Now you're full time. You've you've quit your job, and now you've done maybe two or three deals, and now you're trying to figure out how to scale this monster. 
Uh, but it's a different problem set entirely. So from, from your right now, maybe you have a few houses, you flipped a few houses, or you have a small or you have nothing at all. The only thing you should focus on is your first deal, because the second and third will take care of themselves. I love that. How how are you structuring your deals right now? I know with the I love to hear your your take on the state of the market too. I'll probably follow up with that question. But initially, what is your model right now for multifamily? Well, our position is quite a bit different than than the average person, right? So the average person building up their business is going to be substantially different. We're in the I would in the, in the tail end of portfolio building. So we I have in my mind I have I have different different stages of of where where you are. Uh, you know, we're in the portfolio building. So what we're looking for is we're looking for repeatable systems and consistency and scalability. So we want to be able to scale and we want to do it consistently every single time. In other words, if someone invests with, with Nighthawk Equity, our investment firm, you know, we want to have a high probability of consistent returns, regardless of what property they invest in. And that's because we have checklist systems. We have people who know what they're doing because they're following systems. So we're in the systems building phase. And once we're through that phase, I don't know, I don't know, I'll call it the legacy phase. You know, once you at, I don't know, whatever that is for you, 2000, 5000 units, you know, you really start thinking about your legacy, what, what, you know, maybe remove yourself from, from operations, replacing yourself, hiring a CEO, that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's different, uh, there's different stages. So I'm happy to talk about any one of those stages because they, they, they have a different, a unique set of opportunities and challenges. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together, make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. Yeah, I'd love to hear about all of it, but you know, initially, are you going more after value add right now or more after stabilization? What, what types of assets are you going for as far as the way they're performing when you purchase them? Yeah, I'd love to get into a stable class A uh, deal with 15% averaging return. <laughs> Unfortunately, that, that doesn't exist. I mean, every once in a while you get lucky. I remember I flipped the house once, you know, and I didn't do anything. I just sold it for like a $50,000 profit. It happens. Okay. But I can't build a business on that. In other words, you have to actually do something <laughs> most of the time. And typically the, pro the work is that you, you just get under managed properties uh, that are undermanaged, but for a variety of different reasons, you know, they haven't been renovated, the rents haven't been, uh, whatever. The point is the income of that box is, you know, one thing, and you're going to go in there and do a bunch of stuff. So the income of the box goes up and therefore the value goes up. Therefore you've created value. So our typical model is this value add deals that, that are like that. And what we, our favorite thing to do is to go in and add value. And then two to three years later, do a cash out refinance. Uh, and then hold on to it. So the cash out refinance turns you know, returns 60 to 100% of the investor's principal back. And now we, got the, now we got the investors off our back and now we can focus on, uh, we can hold on to the property for another 10 years, really. And then we can refinance again in five years. So the cash out refinance model is really, really attractive. The longer we can hold on to it and still uh, meet our investors' returns, uh, we'll, we'll, that's what we'll do.
I love that, man. You really touched on something interesting there too, because you know, I know the Burr method is something that people really love on the single family side, but I watched when the market got a little sticky and you could get in with an asset-based loan or a bridge loan, but getting out of that cash out refi, when you were going to a bank, they still were looking at you and they're going, well, I don't care that the asset-based lender gave you the loan to fix it up to get out of that high interest loan. We need to see returns. We need to see credit. We need to see X, Y, and Z. But the it's yeah. it almost seems opposite in commercial because if you're over, I think it's a million dollars, you can actually refinance and it's a lot more based on the property and you can actually get non-recourse, which sounds crazy when people, again, have that fear of, of building up. It's like, well, it's actually safer in a lot of ways if something goes wrong. So talk a little bit about how to protect yourself on the refinance there. Are you not having those same issues that you would have on the single family side with the refinance? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, a single family house, uh, I mean, I was doing everything through private money, a little bit of hard money at the time, uh, because going the loan route uh, was difficult. I mean, uh, you know, banks just put you through the ringer, uh, you needed to personally guarantee it. And it was like, it was just not a really good way to buy houses sight unseen, right? So uh, that was really not a good thing. And some people uh, built up portfolios, and I don't know what it is now, Nick, but there's a, there's a limit to how many houses you can have with a, with a single loan. It was five or 10 at the time, there was a limit to it. Uh, with commercial, you don't have that. It's a different kind of loan, different part of the part of the uh, of the bank that that underwrites these kinds of loans. And you're right; if the loan balance is typically above a million dollars, you actually non-recourse, which means that you don't have to personally guarantee it. Now, there is a, what's called a bad a bad boy carve out, meaning that if you commit fraud and you're convicted, right, they can go after you and your house and your dog and your wife. <laughs> but Otherwise, if you if you if you're an idiot and you just run into the ground, you just say, "I'm so sorry." Uh, here are the keys back, and you sail into the sunset. And so that's a major uh, advantage of commercial real estate. And you know, on the restaurant side, when I did this, I was I was personally signing loans. I was personally signing leases. What could possibly go wrong in 2006? <clears throat> right? It was like the heyday. And I never even thought about the downside, never. And it was a freaking nightmare. I mean, I lost all of my money. I had $200,000 in debt just to get out of it. And it was all, per I almost lost my house because they could have gone after my house. So you don't think about these things. And now I do, right? You think about things like, like a default or, or, uh, or even lawsuits, right? I mean, it's, it's when, you, when you go out there as an entrepreneur, your risk is going to be higher and you don't think about the downside. So having a not having to personally guarantee a guarantee a two million dollar loan is nice. I mean, it makes you sleep a little better, uh, and that is one thing I do like. I don't miss that about the single family house stuff. It's interesting too. I know you work with a lot of beginners as well as a lot of people that are scaling up. But I I've been doing a lot of wholesaling of apartment buildings and of uh, mobile home parks. And I get a lot of people that are constantly, regardless of what the return is, what the cash on cash is, what the NOI is, the answer is always, you know what? I'm looking for something a little bit better. I'm looking for something with a little, and at some point you bring them a deal and they're like, well, yeah, but I'd really like something that's like 90% occupied in a great area with a 15 cap. And I want a value add plan. And it's like, if you find that, I'll buy it from you for like twice that price. But I feel like a lot of people use that as a crutch to wait for the perfect deal. And I'd love to hear your opinion on that because right now it, it is competitive, you know, and, and finding that perfect deal, I feel like you're going to be waiting forever for it. What's your opinion on being a little bit too choosy and having the indecision of waiting for that unicorn deal? And what's your opinion on where we are with the multifamily market right now as far as competition and cap rates? Yeah, so the market right now is really, it's odd. It's its really in the same place it was before COVID. And, you know, before COVID, it was super hot. And, oh, it's not, now it's, maybe I should wait till it cools down. Well, then it cooled down. 
COVID cooled it down. Oh, no, no. Now it's too much uncertainty. <laughs> Let me wait until it stabilizes. Well, guess what? It stabilized. Okay. And now it's hot again. So you all missed your shot because you were trying to time the market. The, the, the point of this is you can't tam time the market. You just can't. Even if you were to time the market, you know, you don't control necessarily the timing of the next deal. You could get it tomorrow, but it could be 12 to 18 months, which case you've now failed to time the market again. You can't time the market. The, you know, the, the thing is when there's blood in the street, no one's buying. And maybe now, not even you listening or watching this because you're afraid. You, you don't know how low it's going to go. So you're not going to be there. And the only, the only person buying stuff when there's blood in the street is the experienced investor who's very confident in their ability to underwrite deals. Okay. Those are people who are buying up everything, but you as a newbie, you're not going to buy anything in that environment. Okay. So what I'm saying is this excuses never end because it's either too hot or it's too uncertain. Meaning that since you can't fix those two things, you've got to figure out how to buy in whatever market is going on right now. And for the longest time, probably for the last five years, it's been hot. It has. Now, you know, we got a hiccup through COVID because the lenders were all wigged out for a little while and, and we couldn't figure out what it was. Okay, so what happened is not a lot of stuff traded for about six months. But the, the, the bottom line is, is this. There are deals out there. People are doing the deals. But maybe those are not the deals that are actually publicly listed. A lot of the action happens in the off-market space. And that comes directly from relationships you build with brokers. And again, this is not something that takes years to do. It takes something that takes uh, weeks, maybe a few months to do. Because what happens is if you are, if you are reach out, like we talked about, uh, from an educated perspective with a team, you get this, the broker to take you seriously. You're responsive to the broker. You follow up with them. You stay in their face. When they send you a deal, you provide them with feedback. Maybe even, God forbid, you hop on a plane and you visit the market. Okay, before you have a deal under contract, everything like that sets you apart from all your other buyers on the guy's buyers list. Okay, and so what happens is, is the more feedback you provide to the broker, the more rapport you build that broker. When they come across an off-market deal, they're going to call you because these brokers are trying to be efficient as well. If they don't have to, if they don't have to put a listing together, meaning they got to put together a 65-page fancy marketing package, which costs time and money, they don't have to parade a whole bunch of people to the property, do a best and final offer. Right. If they know that if you're going to come in and say, hey, the, the, the whisper price strike price is two and a half million and you come in around two and a half million, the guy doesn't have to do any work. <clears throat> and, and chances are the seller doesn't want a public parading of buyers and they don't want a public listing. So the only way that'll get done is quietly through an off market deal. So uh, the majority of people who are getting deals done are getting it through their broker relationships in this kind of fashion. So if, if you're doing a, a best and final round, you know, as a, as a beginner, it's going to be highly unlikely that you're going to win that. Unless, of course, again, the pro tip is to align yourself with an experienced partner. We had a, a guy bring us a 216-unit deal. You know, he got educated and he, he, he spoke, you know, he, he appeared confident. Um, and then the broker was, I like the guy. And he goes, hey, well, I'm working with an experienced group. He didn't say who it was because I didn't, we didn't know he was doing it, right? And finally, the broker said, okay, why don't you put something in writing and bring in your group? And at that point, he brought us the deal, but he brought it to us in a silver platter. He had it underwritten. He had it researched. He had got a verbal agreement from the, from the, from the broker. And now we're getting, it's make, makes it very easy for us to partner with this person because of all these things. Now we step in, take the duel over. And now we take it into the best and final and, and win. So even as a newbie, you can win both the, you know, the best and final game as well as the off-market deals. But that's, that's how you do it in this environment. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, 
Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world, and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. I love that. And I think one of the things you just said is something that sounds very basic and everybody assumes that, but they don't do it, which is giving feedback and making sure that you do respond within a certain amount of time, because it's unbelievable. You know, even on my side, the people that call me, I want a deal. I want a deal. I want a deal. They're writing to me on social media. And then you send them something and then it's cricket. So it becomes very easy to see that test of like, who's even going to respond. So I don't even care what the response is. It's just who's really going to give that feedback. And it's just like you said, especially from the broker side, you assume that the broker knows more than they do. And when you call them up and you just say, I want a deal, that could mean a million different things to a million different people. But the more you give that feedback and you communicate on, this is why this didn't work for me. I'm looking for a little bit more of this. Every time you have that conversation, it's going to get a little, little easier because they're narrowing the target. And I think just that little piece of advice you gave there will absolutely help them get closer and closer to putting their teams together and having people bring deals to them that are tailor-made instead of just, you know, running through all of it. So I think that that's great advice. And I, I do know that you're, you're coming tight on time. So I want to make sure that we get to a, a couple other things here. I appreciate how generous you're being. Um, but talk about your podcast because your podcast is excellent. I love the direct advice you give. I know that sometimes there's, and some of the podcasts I listen to, they don't, they don't really give direct answers. They kind of dance around things. And I very much appreciate the content that you and your guests bring to really educating and giving content on multifamily. Yeah, I mean, look, our mission is financial freedom with real estate, but maybe not, maybe not in the way that people think. And so that's really the focus of the podcast. And we're, in fact, it's called the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, but we're going to rename it. And we're probably going to rename it to the exact title of this book called Financial Freedom with Real Estate. Uh, that's going to be the name of the podcast because I don't want to just attract apartment building investors. I want to attract real estate investors because our message really is that you can, in fact, become financially free with real estate, but maybe not in the way that you think right now. So we're really passionate about that because we have we have seen so many people do it. Uh, people have skipped a single family. People have transitioned from single family and have done it in short order. I mean, I'm telling you, one to two years is all it takes. It is it is incredibly powerful. And and so that's really what the podcast is all about is and bring in subject matter experts who can talk about maybe a particular part of multifamily investing, but then more importantly, more excitedly, bringing in people who have actually quit their jobs with real estate. So these people you've never heard of before. You know, we, we, we're constantly sourcing people who have quit, either they're coming through our ecosystem or someone, I don't really care because a vehicle is the same, whether you get training with us or training someone else, you figure it on your own, I don't care. You can always glean something from someone. How did you do it? How did you do your first deal? How did you overcome some of the challenges? So that's really what we want to shine a light on. And then there's mindset things, of course. I mean, your mind is so powerful. Uh, you know, you, you, so we hold ourselves back from achieving something. And, and so sometimes we have to talk about mindset, you know, just simple mindset. Yeah, get, out of your, get out of your own way. But that's really what the, what the podcast is, uh, is all about. And to talk about the book and talk about your website as well, because you have tons of great content and tons of great options to assist with people on all different levels for investing through your website. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. I mean, I, we like to think that we have something for everyone, meaning that no matter where you are in, in stage or what your financial situation is, 
because you know, the more you can invest in yourself, the better it's going to be. I mean, everybody knows this, right? If someone has the ability to invest in a mentor, you know, working one-on-one with a, with a full-time mentor, well, that person is probably going to do a bigger deal faster and scale faster just because they're working with someone, you know, and you go in this call like, oh, I think I, think I can do a 10 unit, you know, and the mentor goes, ah, 10 units, come on, we have them for breakfast, let's go for 50, come on. And then all of a sudden, you know, the student's like, oh, they start believing, right? And so if you have the ability to do that, you can accelerate your goal, but, but some, not everybody has the ability to invest themselves, okay? So we have, like, we have the podcast, which of course is free, we have a YouTube channel. We have social media. We have a blog where we put stuff out. We have a, a $10 book, okay? Get $10 book. And then we do have online, uh, online courses and, and training. Uh, so we have something for everyone, really. Where, no matter where you are, our mission really is first and foremost, helping you do your first deal. Because that is, in our, in our world, synonymous with financial freedom. Because of this law of the first deal, it's, they go hand in hand. They don't happen exactly at the same time. But it's just simply a matter of time before it happens. And, and, and also we are putting out some, some programs for people who are more established syndicators. And we talked about when you get into the portfolio building stage of things, how do I scale things? How do I scale my marketing? How do I scale my operations? So we're starting to do some programming uh, around that uh, just because there's been demand for that. So something for everyone. I love that, man. And you know, one of the things that you you were touching on there, I think is super important. And when you, you talk about getting into your first deal and doing the right way and building your portfolio, a good friend of mine is Mr. Jenning Smith, and he's a student of yours. And when I had him on and he was talking about how well he's doing, he credited you. He said, hey, man, Michael Blank's a stud. I took his course. I was one of his students, and I'm killing it with the stuff that he had there. So I know he would appreciate us giving him a shout out there. And I know he holds you in very high regard, and I value him very much. So um, I respect both of you guys. And uh, you know, I'm sure you're... You have a lot more stories just like him with people that are coming out that are giving you credit for helping them along the way, which is huge. Yeah, yeah. I see you. You uh, you, you interviewed Hakeem also. He was, yeah, yeah. He was in our portfolio, our portfolio, in our platform builder program, right? Because he's one of those guys who's had some success, and he needed to figure out how do I scale my marketing, right? What is my brand? What is my avatar? How do I attract more investors? And so he's been through that program, and uh, it's great that he made it on your podcast. He's uh. He, he's and you know he's obviously focusing on professional athletes which is exactly i think he was going to go after attorneys or something or doctors i'm like <laughs> hakeem you're an idiot don't do that <laughs> and uh yeah he was uh he just embraced it and uh, yeah he's, he's a great, great guy yeah. yeah i've been having a lot of conversations with him he's doing awesome but both of those guys are just two of the nicest people man and this is the thing okay the, the reason is it's, it's not about financial freedom per se okay and 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 you gotta ask yourself what why is this it's it's a vehicle it's not a means it's a means to an end and just so everybody understands why I do what I do, financial freedom is a stepping stone to empowering people to live a life of significance. Because you just mentioned people who become financially free while they're scaling their business, they do control their time, right? They can work a lot, they can work flexibly, or they can not work. And, and what do most people then do, right, with their time? Well, they eventually, invariably help other people in some way. They start a podcast or write a book or they, they mentor others, or they volunteer more, right? Because now they do control their time. So my theory is financial freedom is a necessary stepping stone to empower people to live a life of significance. I'm not saying it's required. It's just really hard to do it when you're working 55 hours a week uh, and you're, you, know, you have a family and kids and chores. I mean, there's very little time to think about, hey, man, what's my purpose in life? Man, I just I should probably figure out what my passions are and live into my passions. Like it's just hard to do, right? <laughs> because a lot of times your purpose and passions don't necessarily pay the bills. 
But if you have your bills covered by passive income, you truly now can live in your passions. And almost always those passions involve serving others. I love that, man. And uh, a couple of final things here, then what I like to call the victory lap. Do you have a favorite book? Yeah, oh my gosh, I have a bunch of books. Obviously, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a, is a required read. I would be shocked if someone listening to this has not read that. Um, my book, of course, is a favorite read. Uh, yeah, actually, I read it <laughs> recently for the, for the audio book. Really hard. Oh, my gosh. Um, there's a few others, though. Um, I, I like both books by Hal Elrod, both The Miracle Morning for setting up a morning routine I did about five years ago, changed my life forever. And then he put out a, another one last year, The Miracle Equation, which redefines goal setting in a very powerful way. So I like that book a lot. I like uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller, a very powerful book because it helps you to focus and gain clarity and to schedule time for the things that really matter. So there's awesome. some books that I love. Great choices. Do you have a favorite quote? Yeah, it's by Tony Rod Robbins. It is in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. Anytime I have done a live uh, mentoring, I end every single one with that. Oh, nice. Right back there. So accurate, man. My sign right, right behind me in my studio. And it's because when you study people who start taking action, it always boils down to a decision point. And people who don't take action haven't truly decided. That's my theory. I love that. And a final one here, knowing what you know now about life and business, what advice would you give a younger Michael Blanc today? Well, first of all, skip the restaurants. Uh, number one. <laughs> Uh, I would have handed myself the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book before it was published, um, uh, or at least when it was published, number one. And then I would have told myself to get into real estate multifamily uh, right away. I mean, my biggest problem, problem is that when I grew up, I didn't have any entrepreneurs around me. So I didn't even know entrepreneurship was a thing. I had no model whatsoever. And I didn't figure it out until I was probably in my mid thirties uh, that I actually was an entrepreneur. So I was like dormant for like 35 years. So I think, you know, Rich Dad, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, reading a book like mine and or the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And, uh, and then being curious, really being curious, because there's so many ways that you can design your life. Like my 18 year old daughter is doing it differently. You know, she edits all of our videos, she manages our YouTube channel. And she wants to be a digital nomad, you know, and she's bringing on a few more clients, she's hiring some people in the Philippines, and she wants to travel, you know, as soon as she can. And so she's architecting her life around around travel. And the thing it boils down to, Nick, is that uh, is, is intentionality, really being clear about what you want and then going after figuring out how to get that done. And a lot of the times we're on a, you know, we're on a one track mind, you know, going to school, getting a job, getting a paycheck, and it doesn't really open up the, the, the world of opportunity. So really being curious and trying to live a life more intentionally. I love that, man. That's great advice. And finally, how do people find you? Uh, social media, websites, books, coaching, talk about all the ways to find and work with Michael Blanc. I appreciate it. It's uh, themichaelblanc.com. It's B-L-A-N-K. It's written blank, but pronounced funny. That's our, our homepage where you find everything, research, resources, the podcast is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. And the book, of course, is called Financial Freedom with Real Estate. So if you're open to exploring multifamily, I may be your guy. I love that, man. You are extremely well-spoken. You're very entertaining. I appreciate your straightforward answers and your great personality. You're definitely born to be on a mic and born to be an educator. I appreciate everything, and especially you sharing your time with us today. Any final thoughts before I let you go? Nick, I really appreciate you having me on the show, man. Good job with everything and you're doing, and, and you are also raising awareness about real estate and the, and the freedom it creates. So nice job with that and keep building your platform.
Much appreciated. You obviously bring your A game to everything you do. You're a perfect guest. And for anybody listening, all the links for your books, for your course, for your website, for everything will be in the show notes so they can click away and find you. Thank you for coming on today, Michael Black. Have a great day. All right, guys, thanks for listening to this great podcast with Michael Blanc. If commercial and multifamily is something that interests you, we have been selling a lot more multifamily properties lately, uh, mobile home parks, multifamily commercial assets that have great cap rates, great great returns, some value add stuff, some turnkey stuff, uh, some things that need a little love, some things that need a lot of love, some things that need loan love. Uh, You could just kind of come in and park your money. So if you are listening to this and you're interested, you don't really know where to start, where to go but you are looking to purchase your first commercial asset, whether it be a mobile home park or a multifamily property, I can absolutely help you with that. Um, I provide a lot of value as far as due diligence, helping out with some area information, making it more efficient for getting the financials together, helping with the analysis, help with the due diligence, help setting up teams, helping interview teams. Uh, Again, you'd have to make your own investment decisions, but I can help supply a lot of information, make those decisions a lot easier. So reach out to me, nicknick.com slash links, and uh, let me know if you're interested in starting to buy some properties and have me assist you with that process.